Very good morning. Well, the circuit breaker, also known as stay-home order, has been extended for another month. We're still in the midst of a, a pandemic, which has infected uh, two and a half million people all over the world and uh, taken the lives of 180,000 people. The coronavirus has spread to 210 countries and territories. Words like quarantine, lockdown, safe distancing, and Zoom have become common words in our vocabulary. So then my first uh, four sentences of my sermon, I used up all those words, and I will try not to mention them again for the rest of my time. We do want to focus on the Word of God. Uh, things will come and go, but the Word of God abides forever. We want to focus on the Word of God, in particular the Gospel of Mark, and most importantly, on Jesus, Jesus our Lord. The Gospel writer Mark wants us to know Jesus. Uh, in the first four chapters of his Gospel, he introduces us to Jesus as Lord. He's Lord. He's the chief. He's the captain. He's the commander. He's the ruler. He's the king. He defeats the devil. He commands men to follow him. He drives up an evil spirit. He kills a leper. He heals the paralytic, he confronts the religious leaders, and he calms the storm. Over the next two Sundays, uh, we will continue to see Jesus as Lord. Today as Lord over demons, and next Sunday as Lord over disease and death. But before going any further, let us pray. Our Father in heaven, through the preaching of your word, and by the enlightenment of your Spirit, show us Jesus, Jesus our Lord. Amen. You know, when we think of Jesus as Lord, we must not imagine him as someone high and mighty, someone distant and impersonal. Look at how the Gospel writer Mark presents Jesus to us in the first five chapters of the Gospel. Look at what Jesus says to the people he meets. To the leper he says, be clean. To the paralytic, he says, your sins are forgiven. To the woman with a chronic disease, he says, go in peace. And to a man whose daughter has just died, he says, don't be afraid. Be clean. Your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. Don't be afraid. Are these not words that we all need to hear, we want to hear? We are anxious and fearful. Jesus tells us not to fear, and he gives us peace. We feel guilty and dirty. He forgives our sins and He makes us clean. Every encounter we read of Jesus and people in need is characterized by two things. His power and His love. His power and His love. Uh, let's keep this in mind as we look at His encounter with a man possessed by demons. Demons, spirits, ghosts. Uh, we, both, we are both fascinated and frightened by them. You know, we see them in horror movies, we read them in books about ghost stories, um, we meet them in computer games. We are attracted yet terrified. Uh, we want to know them, and yet when we do, we wish we didn't know. Are these spirits real or imagined? Are they friendly or unfriendly? Harmless ghosts uh, hovering somewhere between the living and the dead? Or are they? harmful demons out for vengeance and destructions. 
C.S. Lewis, a professor at Oxford University, speaks of two opposite errors as regard our belief or disbelief in demons. He said one is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves, in other words, the demons themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. Yes, we can swing to one or the other extremes. One is denier. We say demons belong to the realm of the superstitious and overworked imagination, people who are mentally weak or mentally unsound. Uh, such a position is not tenable because there is overwhelming evidence of demonic activity in many parts of the world. And of course, the Bible teaches the existence of Satan and the host of demons under his command. Now, the other extreme is the opposite. Uh, some people believe in demons, but to an extent that they become obsessive and unhealthy in their interests. In other words, they see demons everywhere. Every time something goes wrong, they attribute it to the work of demons. Every time they feel unwell, they believe it is the attack of the demons. Often, as a result, they live in fear. I remember many years ago, there was a lady preacher teaching people to avoid any picture or image that bore resemblance of the devil. And since the devil is spoken of in the Bible as a dragon, she urged her followers to get rid of anything that has a dragon on it. Uh, so pages of books were torn out, uh, batik shirts and jewelry with uh, the picture of dragon were destroyed. And at the time, the Singapore $50 note has a dragon on it. And her followers are told not to have any of these currency notes in their possession. Now that's, an ex that's one extreme. The other extreme is just as bad, to say that demons don't exist. That the only world that is real is the physical world and the material world. Well, Satan is happy when people swing to one or the other extreme. He's happy with those who do not believe in his existence and he's happy with those who are obsessive about his existence. So where do we draw the line? How do we find a balance? Well, I hope we learn from our passage today as we look at the Gospel of Mark chapter 5. We begin with Jesus crossing a lake and arriving in a place called Gadarenes or Gazarenes or Gerizines, an area on the southeastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. The sea, or actually a lake, is 21 kilometers long from north to south and 13 kilometers wide at its widest point, east to west. As we trace the journey of the disciples from where they were in chapter 4, to where they are now in chapter 5. It's a journey of about 8 kilometers. It's like sailing from the Clemente Bible Center to Labrador Park or in the other direction from Clemente Bible Center to the Chinese Garden, Jerome. If they had started when the sun was setting and the sailing was interrupted by a storm, they would have arrived on the other side just before dawn. So we have a rather eerie scene here. The sun had not risen was still dark, and the place they landed was a graveyard. And the first person to meet them was a madman. No wonder we read in the text in Mark as well as in the parallel passages in Matthew and Luke that only Jesus stepped out of the boat. The disciples were probably too scared to make any move. They remained in the boat in the safety of the boat. Now let us consider the profile of this man that Jesus met, a man who was possessed by demons. It is immediately obvious that he was an unusual person. 
He lived among the tombs in the graveyard. He wore no clothes, according to Luke chapter 8, verse 27. Here was a man stuck naked who made his home in a graveyard. He felt no shame without any clothes on, and he felt no fear living among the dead. We are told further uh, that he was a violent man, verses 3 to 5, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with the chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, and he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hill, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. His violence was directed at others as well as at himself. Matthew chapter 8 verse 28 tells us that he would not allow anyone to pass through where he was staying. Though they tried to restrain him with chains, he broke the chains to pieces. He was strong. It would be, he would be heard uh, screaming and cutting himself. Evidently, he was a man tormented, trying to kill himself and anyone who crosses his path. He was violent and destructive. And that reminds us of the storm in the previous chapter. You remember that when Jesus was crossing the lake in a boat with the disciples, that a silent, that sudden and violent storm almost sank the boat and ended the lives of the disciples. Now there was a storm on the outside. Here was a storm on the inside. I'm not sure which is worse. At least a storm on the outside is something you can see. But when a storm rages inside, unpredictable, uncontrollable, it is hard to deal with. Let me say two more things about the man who was demon-possessed. Not only was he unusual and violent, he was full of paradoxes. For one, he was both attracted to Jesus and repulsed by him. When he saw Jesus, he ran towards him and worshipped him. He fell down before him. He fell on his knees in front of him. He was, he was attracted to Jesus. And yet when he spoke, he shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want from me, Jesus? Son of the Most High, God, swear to God that you won't torment me or torture me. Something or someone in the person recognized Jesus as the Son of the Most High God, and yet it was a recognition filled with fear. Remember James in the epistle, James chapter 2, verse 29, uh, verse 19 says, You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and they tremble. Yes, the demons believe and they tremble. The demons believe in God and in His Son, Jesus, and they tremble with fear. Another paradox is seen when Jesus spoke to the man. But Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. Verses 8 and 9. Note the confusion of singular and plural pronouns. Jesus spoke to the man, and he commanded the unclean spirit to come out. So two persons are involved. And yet when Jesus asked for the name, What is your name? in the singular, the answer came back, My name, singular, is legion, for we are many, plural. There's a paradox of the one and many. So one person or many persons? Well, one person with multiple personalities or multiple demons. How many demons? If the word legion, which is the name that the demons have given to themselves, is taken literally, it means 6,000, because legion is a military term in the Roman army, referring to 6,000 soldiers.
Well, I'm told that in the Singapore Army, a battalion is made up of 700 soldiers. And in that case, you're talking about something like nine battalions of demons residing in this one person. But could 6,000 demons inhabit one person? Why not? Demons are not physical beings, they are spiritual beings. They do not occupy space. 6,000 unclean spirits could well possess one person. Later, we would read that they entered into 2,000 pigs. They were talking about spirits in the thousands. The question is how these demons got into the man. We're not told. Was he like that from birth? We're not sure. It seems unlikely. Or did he become violent as an adult? That's more likely. How did the demons come to take possession of him? Well, we're not told here, but we do know how some people become demon-possessed. The most common way is when a person becomes involved in the occult or spirit worship or devil worship. The person enters into a kind of uh, agreement with the spirit world. You help me and I help you. That could take place uh, when offerings and prayers are made at shrines or altars or places of worship. It could happen when charms and amulets are worn on the body and kept for protection and blessing. In some cases, it could be a person who was dedicated to a god or adopted by a deity when he or she was young. Now, certain kinds of music can also be avenues for demonic powers to enter a person, mainly because the musicians themselves worship the devil. They are involved in devil worship. The same can be said of certain computer games or board games which devil in their cult. Demonic spirits enter a person because a person opens the door, sometimes knowingly, often unknowingly. Once these spirits come in, they are reluctant to leave. Only when they meet a greater power than they will they leave a person. Such is the case we see here in Jesus' encounter with the demon-possessed man. Jesus commanded evil spirit or the unclean spirit to leave. Apparently nothing happened. Then Jesus asked, what is your name? Now this conversation between Jesus and the man who is possessed uh, raises a few questions. Firstly, why didn't the unclean spirit leave when Jesus first gave the command? Secondly, what's the purpose of asking for the name? Uh, does knowing the name uh, make a difference to casting out the spirit? And thirdly, why did Jesus enter into a negotiation with the man when, he, when the, the spirits uh, wanted to enter the pigs? Let's take the question one by one. Note that in Mark chapter 1, when Jesus cast out the unclean spirit from a man in the synagogue, he simply said, quiet, come out of him. Uh, the spirit left, but not before he tormented the man one last time with a violent convulsion and a loud cry. You know, in Mark chapter 1, the Spirit just came out at the first command. Now, it's not easy for spirits to leave a person. Uh, it seems that spirits prefer to inhabit human bodies rather than exist in what we call in a disembodied state. Hence the reluctance to leave once they find a home in a person's body. Uh, perhaps uh, in the world of nature, we can think of the hermit crabs, uh, which always look for a shell to stay in and occupies their home. It's therefore understandable that the spirits did not leave when Jesus commanded them the first time. Then why did Jesus ask for the name? Some believe that knowing the name gives us authority over a person. So, for example, 
when we read in Genesis the account of the creation, remember how Adam was asked to give names to the animals, uh, showing that man was to have authority over animals. Uh, in our own experience, um, when a name is given to something, we feel better. Uh, we feel better about it because now we know what it is. Uh, not too long ago, a lady I know was having difficulty with a five-year-old son. He was misbehaving and she suspected that something was not right about him. Her husband did not think so and that led to some tension between them. Finally, they decided to bring their son to see a professional counsellor. Uh, a counsellor who was experienced with children with special needs. The son was put through a series of tests and the parents were then told that the son has autism. Now, immediately the parents felt better. Now they know the name of the son's condition, they felt they now know what to do and how to handle the son and his condition. Could this be the reason why Jesus asked the name of the demons possessing the man? Not for himself, but for the sake of the man and maybe for the sake of the onlookers. We cannot know for sure, but it seems possible that soon after this, Jesus cast out the demons. Knowing the name Legion gives us an idea of what happened to the man and what we're dealing with. Now that we have answered the questions of why the spirits did not leave at the first command, they are unwilling to do so, and why Jesus asked for the name, well, knowing the name gives us authority over the person or the condition, let me ask, let me answer one more question. Why did Jesus enter into some kind of negotiation with the unclean spirits? We read here the men begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. Uh, a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission. Apparently, if the demons were to leave the men, they would have to go back well, to where they belong. They preferred to stay here in some kind of bodies, whether body of a person or body of animals. So why did Jesus negotiate with the spirits? Why did he stoop to their level and granted them their request? Now, before I answer the question, let me make one thing clear. Jesus' authority over the, the demonic spirits is clear and never in doubt. He commanded the spirits and they had to obey, even though they may not obey immediately. Also, the spirits could not do anything without Jesus' permission. When they wanted to enter the herd of swine, they asked Jesus for permission. And they did it only when Jesus gave them permission. But why? Why did Jesus negotiate with the spirits and allow them to enter the pigs? Well, I can think of a number of reasons why Jesus conversed with the demonic spirits. It was not for the sake of these demons. It was more for the sake of the man. It was for the sake of the man they possessed. Jesus wanted the man to know that he had been delivered. Jesus wanted the man to know beyond any or shadow of doubt. He wanted the man to see what had been living inside him and making his life miserable. Jesus also wanted the people in living the area to know. They know this man as a maniac, a madman, a crazy, wild, violent man. Jesus wanted the people to know the extent to which the man had been possessed, not by one or two demons, but by thousands of them. Perhaps he also wanted everyone to know the destructive power of such unclean spirits. So Jesus granted the request of the demons. They got what they wanted. But in the end, they lost what they wanted. They wanted to be in some bodies and asked to enter the bodies of the pigs. 
but the pigs ran down a steep slope and they drowned in the sea. So the demons lost out in the end with nowhere to go but back to where they belong. Now the dramatic scene of 2,000 pigs running down the slope possessed by 6,000 demons running like crazy into the sea I must say must have been therapeutic for the man not to see the spirits actually leaving him going into the pigs going into the sea well it does remind us of the children of Israel doesn't it when they saw the Egyptian army who had been chasing them being drowned in the Red Sea finally it's all over we are free I'm free the enemies are gone and gone for good so Jesus delivered a demon-possessed man with a command for the spirits to leave. How does deliverance take place today? What do we do when someone who's possessed wishes to be, wishes to be delivered? First of all, let me say that ministering to the demon-possessed requires spiritual discernment and maturity, courage and stamina. I only have limited experience with the ministry of exorcism or what we call casting out demons. But I've come to believe that not everyone can do it. You see, the no demonic spirits are deceitful. They are cunning. They are powerful and they are stubborn. They are clever in instilling fear. And I remember many years ago at a camp when one of our young people, a girl, started manifesting signs of demonic possession. It was a good thing that our camp speaker that year was a pastor who had considerable experience in the exorcism ministry. He asked us to stand around the young girl and pray while he proceeded to command the spirit in the name of Jesus to leave the girl. She was in convulsion, breathing on the ground in torment. Suddenly she stood up and speaking in a voice that was clearly not her voice, she said, the spirit has left me and has entered one of you. Well, you can imagine how each one of us feel, felt. Is it me? Is it me? The pastor called out, you lying spirit. Stop telling lies and come out of her in the name of Jesus. He said, the pastor knew better. The spirit was trying to instill fear in all of us. For deliverance to take place, a person who is possessed must want to be delivered. The person must believe that Jesus can deliver him or her. You see, demons, no matter how strong or stubborn they are, they tremble in the name of Jesus. They are afraid of the cross of Jesus. They are afraid of the blood of Jesus. Because when Jesus died on the cross as a sacrifice of sin, when he shed his blood for our sins, Satan was defeated and his hold over us was forever broken. And that is why we cast out demons in the name of Jesus by the blood of Jesus shed on the cross. Sometimes there may be more than one spirit and it may take time for every spirit to live. Often each spirit has to be identified by name and commanded to live by name. And that is why this, this ministry of casting out demons requires discernment and courage and stamina. It's not for everyone. Well, if anyone feels that you have opened the door to demonic activity or demonic uh, world uh, because of past involvement with the occult or the spirit world, we can on our own or with a pastor or Christian brother or sister pray a prayer of renunciation. A prayer of renunciation. And at the end of my message, I invite you to pray this prayer with me. But remember, when we belong to Jesus, when we acknowledge Jesus as Lord, the devil cannot touch us or harm us. This we can be assured. 
Well, let's come now and consider the aftermath of the deliverance. Here's a man possessed by many demons. He has been delivered. It's over. Now, the people heard about the destruction of the 2,000 pigs. They saw the man delivered from 6,000 demons. What a contrast from the man they knew before. We read in verse 15 that he was sitting there, you know, clothed, dressed, and in his right mind. He was no longer running around, screaming his head off. He was no longer naked, going around shamelessly. Instead, he was sane and calm and in his right mind. Now, we would have thought that the people would be glad and be grateful for what Jesus had done. Here was a man who was healed of a terrible and terrifying condition. But no, the people were not thinking of that. They were thinking of the 2,000 pigs that were drowned. Of course, to the owner, this was a great loss. And to the others, if it could happen to one, it could happen also to them. They didn't want Jesus to be around, so they asked him to leave. It's not always easy to believe in Jesus, to say that Jesus is Lord. Sometimes we look at the cost, and it's too much. I remember a couple who came to a church I once pastored and asked to be baptized. Well, they joined our catechism class, and after a few months, we interviewed them to ascertain their readiness for baptism. Uh, while the man was ready, his wife asked for more time to consider when we asked her the reason why, she was very frank. She and her husband ran their own business and had been extremely successful and wealthy. She was one who kept the books, the accounts for the company, and she said, If I really want to be serious about my Christian faith, I have to stop some of my business practices. I will lose at least 30% of my profits. Well, thank the Lord, they were eventually baptized, but before that, she counted the cost, and she knew that following Jesus meant financial loss. You know, the people in Gerasenes also counted the cost, and they felt it was not worth it. That is why they asked Jesus to go away. Well, the request reminds us of the request of the demons who asked Jesus to let them leave. But Jesus granted the demons their request, and in the same way Jesus granted the people of Gerasenes their request. He got into the boat and got ready to return to the other side of the lake. And then we see the man who had been delivered, who had been healed, running to Jesus and begging to go with him. This time, Jesus did not grant the request. He told the man, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy and compassion on you. Let us know the important point in this passage. It has something to do with the pigs or the swine. You know the Jews do not eat pork, it's considered unclean. So the people who owned these pigs or looked after them could not be Jews. In fact, this area Jesus landed at was a Gentile territory. Uh, this is one of the few digressions of Jesus into Gentile territory. His ministry was mainly to the Jews. Yet from, the time, we, from time to time we find him ministering to the Gentiles in preparation for the day when the church would be born and both Jews and Gentiles will be ushered into God's kingdom. All the more reason Jesus wanted the man to remain behind. You know, the man could have joined uh, Jesus as one of his disciples, and he could be a star witness wherever Jesus went. But no, for now, it was more important for him to stay where he was, to go home to his family, to his friends, and to tell them what happened 
and to lead them to believe in Jesus. That was what Jesus did, remember, with the Samaritan woman. He touched her life, changed her, and sent her back to her people. And later on, we read in the book of Acts, the church was born in Samaria, where the Samaritan woman lived. And I have no doubt that the same thing happened here, that this man went back to where he lived, where he was, with his family and friends, and no doubt the church was planted later on. From this, we learn that our ministry must always begin from where we are, in our home, among our friends. So why not share your testimony of what God has done for you, His love, His power, His mercy, and who knows what God can go, do through you. Let me conclude. Today we've seen how Jesus' encounter with a man possessed by thousands of demons, that these uh, demons are no match for Jesus, no match for Jesus. They obeyed Him just as the storm obeyed Him. Jesus is Lord of our nature, as he is Lord over demons. We need not live in fear. For if we fear the Lord, in fact, he is the only one we need to fear. If we fear the Lord Jesus, we need not fear anything or anyone else. Jesus is Lord, our only Lord. Let me also say that every encounter of Jesus, as I've said, is characterized by two things, his power and his love. And after every encounter, there are some who respond and some who are not. Remember how the man who was delivered from demons chose to follow Jesus, even though he was told to stay and continue to witness to his family and friends. But those who live in Gerasenes, who only thought about the loss of their pigs, um, their livelihood, they were the ones who told Jesus to go away. So the question we want to leave with you is when you meet Jesus, Will you follow him or will you turn away from him? We'd like to pray now. I ask you to join me in the prayer of renunciation and the prayer of assurance. Let us pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I confess you as my Lord and my Savior. You are my only Lord and I submit to no other. I worship you and you alone. I renounce all other claims of my life. By faith I claim the power of your name, the power of your blood, to protect me and to deliver me from all evil and harm. Fill my life with your love and remove from me any fear of demonic spirits. I claim your promise that your Holy Spirit within me is greater than any unclean spirit of the devil. It is in your name I will always have the victory. Lord Jesus, I ask you also to be with me in my anxiety and fear. Be with me also in my sense of guilt and regret. Let me hear you saying to me, as you spoke to the people of long ago, Be clean. Your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. Do not be afraid. Thank you, Lord, for these words of assurance as we go through these difficult and uncertain times. It is in your wonderful and powerful name we pray. Amen.